Welcome to the Time Machine Talk Show. Here's your host, Miss Ziegler. Hey, 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 students. Welcome back to episode three of the Time Machine Talk Show. Today we are going to be looking at your second set of reading. It's on uh, starts on page 46 of the Strayer textbook. And this is just getting into the first civilizations. Uh, if you are taking notes, which you should be, I want you to turn first to page 69. Page 69, uh, the second paragraph, talks about the characteristics and the common features of early civilizations. So take notes of these features. It starts off by saying, however, they got started, and much about this is still guesswork. The first civilizations once established represented a very different kind of human society than anything that came before. When you're reading and the book tells you that it's different, it's probably good to note that. Okay, so the next sentence says, all of them were based on a highly productive agricultural economies. So I would put that down as one of the common features. And then moving on, it says various forms of irrigation, drainage, terracing, and flood control enabled these civilizations to tap the food-producing potential of their regions more intensely. I'd put that down as well underneath agricultural economies that they use different kinds of irrigation, etc. Then it goes on to say, all across the Afro-Eurasian hemisphere, though not in the Americas, Animal-drawn plows and metalworking greatly enhanced the productivity of farming. Ritual sacrifice, sometimes including people, accompanied the growth of civilization, and the new rulers normally served as high priests, their right to rule legitimated by association with the sacred. So, put some bullet points down about those things. For example, uh, you can put down that in Afro-Eurasia, they used animal-drawn plows and metalworking. I've put something down about ritual sacrifice and the rulers being the high priest. Once you get that down, let's move on to an urban revolution. It's the next section on page 69, and you see in your reading it says AP exam tip. The characteristics of cities as well as their emergence, growth, and decline are important concepts, so pay attention to all of those things. Um, the very first paragraph talks about the largest city in Mesopotamia. It's called Uruk. And if you go down to about the third sentence, that's where I'm going to start reading. So take some notes on this city. What are some characteristics? As I'm reading, try to pinpoint those characteristics. It says, Uruk had walls more than 20 feet tall and a population around 50,000 in the third millennium BCE. The city's center, visible for miles around, was a stepped pyramid, or ziggurat, topped with a temple. You can see the photo on page 77. Inside the city, this village visitor would have found other temples as well, serving as centers of ritual performance and as places for the redistribution of stored food. Numerous craftspeople labored as masons, copper workers, and weavers, and many other specialties, while bureaucrats helped administer the city. It was surely a vibrant, noisy, smelly, sometimes bewildering and dangerous, but also exciting place. So for your notes there, I would definitely put down that the center of the city was the ziggurat. That's characteristic in Mesopotamia. 
uh, especially in Mesopotamia. And then I would also put down that the temples served as those city centers for rituals to redistribute stored food. You can also put that in the city center is where you would have your specialized workers. And just like in Mesopotamia, they had the city center, which was the ziggurat, you'll also read later about different types of city centers in Greece and Rome. So you can pay attention to that when we get to that point. All right, now let's skip down to where it talks about Mahenjo-daro. That would be in the very last paragraph on page 69. And it says, equally impressive to a village visitor would have been the city of Mahenjo-daro, which flourished along the banks of the Indus River around 2000 BCE. With a population of perhaps 40,000, Mahenjo-daro and its sister city of Harappa featured large, richly built houses of two or three stories, complete with indoor plumbing, pretty impressive for that time frame, luxurious bathrooms and private wells. Streets were laid out in a grid-like pattern and beneath the streets ran a complex sewage system Workers lived in row upon row of standardized two-room houses, grand public buildings, including what seems to be a huge public bath, graced the city, which an enormous citadel was surrounded by a brick wall some 45 feet high. All right, so that's in the Indus River Valley, and I would put that down as, uh, as some notes that you have there and put those two cities underneath there, Mahenjo-daro and Harappa. Then look at some of the characteristics of those cities. Uh, for example, indoor plumbing. That might be asked uh, later in uh, some of the documents that you're looking at. You might want to look at um, the fact that they had luxurious bathrooms, two-story houses, complex sewers system. Okay, put that all down for that, uh, those two cities. All right, now moving on to Mesoamerica in the next paragraph, we talk about a city uh, pronounced Teotihuacan, and it's located in the Central Valley of Mexico. It housed perhaps around 200,000 people in the middle of the first millennia CE. Broad avenues, dozens of temples, two huge pyramids, endless stone carvings, and many bright frescoes. Small apartments for the ordinary, uh, palatial homes for the wealthy. All of this must have seemed another world for a new visitor from a distant village. Then it says, in seeking relatives, how could she find her way among many different compounds, each surrounded by a wall and housing a different lineage? And what would she make of neighborhood composed entirely of Mayan uh, merchants from distant coastal lowlands? So you can see that this city was just really immense and had a large variety of things going on. The last paragraph said, Cities then were central to most of the first civilizations, though to varying degrees. They were political administrative capitals. They functioned as centers for the production of culture, including art, architecture, literature, ritual, and ceremony. They served as marketplaces for both local and long distance exchange, and they housed most manufacturing activity. Everywhere they generated a unique kind of society. Compared to earlier agricultural villages, or Paleolithic camps. Urban society was impersonal, for it was no longer possible to know everyone. Relationships of class and occupation emerged alongside those of kinship and village loyalty. Most notably, the degree of specialization and inequality far surpassed that of all preceding 
human communities. So social class will be the next thing that we talk about, but in the AP exam tip, it says take good notes on the function of these cities throughout time and place. That's in that very last paragraph that we talked about, how it says like culture and art and architecture. You can take some notes on that and then we'll move forward. Okay, so on page 71, that's where it starts talking about hierarchies of class. And it says alongside the occupational specialization of the first civilization, lay their vast inequalities in wealth, status, and power. As ingenuity and technology created more productive economies, the greater wealth now available was everywhere piled up rather than spread out. Early signs of this erosion of equality were evident in the more settled and complex gathering and hunting societies and in agricultural chiefdoms, but the advent of urban-based civilizations multiplied and magnified these inequalities many times over as the more egalitarian values of earlier cultures were everywhere displaced. So egalitarian values, that would mean like that they were more equal in these agricultural chiefdoms versus in urban societies. Then it says this transition represents one of the major points, turning points in the social history of humankind. So we, we often talk about turning points in history. This is one of them, okay, going from those egalitarian societies and chiefdoms and turning more towards urban societies. Okay, going on, it says, as the first civilizations took shape, inequality and hierarchy soon came to be regarded as normal or natural. So what's the definition of hierarchy? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's basically a way of ranking people and giving certain classes of people more power than others. So if we go on, it says, uh, upper classes everywhere enjoyed great wealth in land or salaries. They were able to avoid physical labor, had the finest of everything, and occupied the top positions in political, military, and religious life. Frequently, they were distinguished by the clothing they wore, the houses they lived in, and the manner of their burial. Early Chinese monarchs bestowed special robes, banners, chariots, weapons, and ornaments on their regional officials, and all of these items were graded according to the official's precise location in the hierarchy. In Mesopotamia, the punishments prescribed in the famous Code of Hammurabi depended on social status. A freeborn commoner who struck a person of equal rank had to pay a small fine. But if he struck a man who was his superior, he would receive 60 strokes with an oxtail whip in public. Clearly, class had consequences. In all of the first civilizations, free commoners represented the vast majority of the population and included artisans of all kinds, lower-level officials, soldiers and police, servants, and most numerous of all farmers. It was their surplus production, appropriated through a variety of taxes, rents, required labor, and tribute payments, that supported the upper class. At least some of these people were aware of and resented these forced extractions and their position in the social hierarchy. Most Chinese peasants, for example, owned little land of their own and worked on plots granted to them by royal or aristocratic landowners. An ancient poem compared the exploiting landlords to rats and expressed the farmer's vision of a better life. It says, large rats, large rats, do not eat our spring grain. Three years have we had to do with you and you have not been willing to think of our toil.
we will leave you and go to those happy borders, happy borders, happy borders, who will there make us always to groan? At the bottom of social hierarchies everywhere were slaves. So the top would definitely be your upper class, the middle would be the artisans most of the time, and the farmers. That's the last paragraph that they just talked about. And then the very last would be slaves. It says, evidence for slavery dates to well before the emergence of civilization and was clearly present in some gathering and hunting societies and early agricultural communities. But the practice of people owning people flourished on a larger scale in the urban and state-based societies of civilization. Female slaves captured in the many wars among rival Mesopotamian cities were put to work in large-scale semi-industrial weaving enterprises, while males helped to maintain irrigation canals and construct ziggurats. Others worked as domestic servants in the household of their owners. In all the first civilizations, slaves derived from prisoners of war, criminals, and debtors. Debtors would mean someone who owes money and can't pay it. And they were available for sale, for work in the fields, mines, homes, and shops of their owners, or on occasion for sacrifice. From the days of the earliest civilizations until the 19th century, slavery was everywhere an enduring feature of these more complex societies. So its practice in ancient times, however, varied considerably from place to place. Egypt, Egypt and the Indus River Valley civilizations initially had far fewer slaves than did Mesopotamia, which was highly militarized. Later, the Greeks of Athens and, Ro and the Romans employed slaves far more extensively th than did the Chinese or Indians. Furthermore, most ancient slavery differed from the type of slavery practiced in the Americas during recent centuries. In the early civilizations, slaves were not a primary agricultural labor force. Many children of slaves could become free people, and slavery was not associated primarily with blackness or with Africa. So if you were writing a change over time essay about slavery, you could talk about how it was different in the early civilizations versus later on in the Americas. Then there's a little AP exam tip that it says you should know that forms of coerced labor like slavery were common features of many civilizations until the 20th century. Coerced labor is definitely a term that you are going to see again, and just know that that goes with slavery. All right, let's look at the hierarchies of gender because not only do we have hierarchies in jobs, we also have it in gender, so that's important to note as well. Write down the term patriarchy. If you look at page 73, the spelling of patriarchy is right there underneath the exam tip. And it says that patriarchy is an important reoccurring theme across place and time throughout the AP course. Patriarchy just means that it's a male-led society. Put that down in your notes. I'm going to start on page 73 in that very first paragraph underneath the last part of the paragraph from the other page. It starts with the patriarchal. So that's where I'm going to start here about patriarchal societies. And it says, the patriarchal ideal regarded men as superior to women and sons preferable to daughters. Men had legal and property rights unknown to most women. Public life with, in general was associated with masculinity, which defined men as rulers, warriors, scholars, and heads of household. Women's roles, both productive and reproductive, took place in the home, 
mostly within a heterosexual family, where women were defined largely by their relationship to a man, as a daughter, wife, mother, or widow. Frequently, men could marry more than one woman and claim the right to regulate the social and sexual lives of the wives, daughters, and sisters in their families. Widely seen as weak, but feared as potentially disruptive, women required both the protection and the control of men. So that would be a description of what a perfect patriarchal society would be like. But in the next paragraph, it talks about the reality. So let's go on. It says, but the reality of the lives of men and women did not always correspond to these ideals. Most men, of course, were far from prominent and exercised little power, except perhaps over the women and children of their own families. Gender often interacted with class to produce a more restricted but privileged life for upper class women who were largely limited to the home and the management of servants and slaves. By contrast, the vast majority of women always had to be out in public, working in the fields, tending livestock, buying and selling in the streets, and serving in the homes of their social superiors. A few women also operated in roles defined as masculine, acting as rulers, priests, and scholars, while others pushed against the limits and restrictions assigned to women. But most women, no doubt, accepted their assigned roles, unable to imagine anything approaching gender equality, even as, much, or even as most men generally believed that they were protecting and providing for their women. So there were some exceptions to the rule, and it depended on what civilization that you were in, how much freedom you had. Um, but there were definitely some exceptions to that rule. For example, Egyptian women had a lot more rights than other civilizations at the time. They could own property, they could ask for a divorce, and in certain scenarios they could even be pharaoh. So it really just depended on what civilization you were a part of. The next paragraph is very specific and the AP exam tip says that as you begin to develop your essay writing skills, use these paragraphs of an example of an essay that includes a lot of specific information. In your essays, you're going to need at least six pieces of specific information. And so this is a really good example of what that would look like. Let's read this one. It says, the big question for historians lies in trying to explain the origins of this kind of pervasive patriarchy. Clearly, it was neither natural nor of long standing. For millennia beyond measure, gathering and hunting societies had developed gender systems without the sharp restrictions and vast inequalities that characterize civilizations. Early farming societies, those using a hoe or digging stick for cultivation, continued the relative gender equality that had characterized Paleolithic peoples. So that's basically just explaining that the earlier societies had gender equality. So what was it, then, about civilization that seemed to generate a more explicit and restrictive patriarchy? One approach to answering this question highlights the role of a new and more intensive form of agriculture, involving the use of animal-drawn plows and the keeping and milking of large herds of animals. Unlike earlier farming practices that relied on a hoe or digging stick, plow-based agriculture meant heavier work, which men were better able to perform, taking place at a distance from its village. This new form of agriculture was less uh, compatible with women's primary responsibility for child-rearing and food preparation. Furthermore, the growing population of civilizations meant that women were more often pregnant and thus more deeply involved in childcare than before. 
Hence, in a plow-based community, men took over most of the farming work and the status of women declined correspondingly. Even though their other productive activities, weaving and food preparation, for example, continued. So that's just one theory as to what created this patriarchal society. If we skip down to the next paragraph, it says, women have long been identified not only with the home, but also with nature, for they are central to the primordial natural process of reproduction. But civilization seemed to highlight culture or the human mastery of nature through agriculture, monumental art and architecture, and create, creation of large-scale cities and states. Did this mean, as some scholars have suggested, that women were now associated with an inferior dimension of human life, such as nature, while men assumed responsibility for the higher order of culture? It seems to point that direction, at least. In your little exam tip, it says, society's expectation for what men and women are supposed to do or be, that is, gender roles, is an important theme throughout AP World History. And so we'll be talking about it a lot. And you need to be able to identify what changes within that theme as we go on. All right, so the next couple paragraphs talk about patriarchy in practice and what it looked like. And then it goes on to talk about the rise of the state and how the state would start to um, get writing and accounting and how the government would run. So those are some important paragraphs that you can read on your own. And if you look at page 78, this is a quick snapshot of writing in ancient civilizations. You want to take note that in um, the Sumer location, which is the very top one, cuneiform was the uh, important writing structure. You'll see that again. So the spelling of that is C-U-N-E-I-F-O-R-M. It's the very first one on page 78. You can put that down in your notes. And this is characterized by symbols, wedge-shaped symbols on clay tablets is what it says. And um, it's one of the first written languages, so that's why it's so important. Underneath that is Egypt's hieroglyphs. Hieroglyphs are also a symbol-based letter, so you might want to put that down as well. Another thing that you might see turn up on a test is China. It talks about oracle bone script. Then if you look down at China, you'll see it talks about oracle bones. Oracle bones you will probably see again on a test. And basically, they would use like the inside of turtle shells or animal bones to write on, and they would use, be used to predict the future. So those are important as well. All right, that wraps up episode three of the Time Machine Talk Show. I hope it was helpful. Tune in next time for some talk about the early civilizations. And if you have any questions, please feel free to email me, and I will get right back to you as soon as possible. Have a great day.